0: Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the 7th of our weekly podcast of Practice Managers. This is a recording of the webinar run on Wednesday the 13th of May.
1: Probably the the main topic of conversation to every meeting that I am attending at the moment, and I've had four this morning, I've got another two later on this afternoon, is about um, what they call restoration and restore. So... What, you know, practices and the whole of the NHS has responded amazingly to the COVID challenge and the predicted rise in cases and um, reconfiguring services to focus on dealing with COVID patients has been amazing. And I would give great credit to practice managers who probably don't get mentioned often enough in this, where, um, you know, it's all what the clinicians are doing, particularly those amazing things they do in hospital with these great machines. But not forgetting the fantastic contribution General Practice has made. But um, as you all know better than anyone, those GPs need a bit of organising, and in many cases a lot of organising, and trying to reconfigure a system um, is quite challenging even in a a practice of a smaller size than a hospital, but um, not least the challenge of trying to get people to work in a very different way. And working collaboratively across a PCN has been quite spectacular, and you deserve a lot of credit for that. So... Although we're still talking about COVID, we know that the COVID work is going to continue for probably 12 months until we get mass vaccination. And hopefully when that comes on board and more than that works, we'll be able to get on top of this. But the expectation is that over the next few months, we're going to get a steady um, flow of new patients presenting with COVID. And depending on what happens with the easing of the lockdown, we may get one or two spikes on the way. And whether those spikes become significant is um, a matter of uh, concern, but also consideration. So, you know, what many places have done is move to hot and cold sites using total triage. But now the question is what do we do going forward? So, how do we carry on managing the hot sites and the presentation, particularly as we're seeing a falling number of COVID patients? But up until the last couple of days, The number of deaths in care homes has been rising, although it's now falling again. So, you know, looking to the future, we need to look at how do we reopen our practices to the um, normal general practice work, albeit probably delivered in a different way, and also the consideration of if there is a... um, COVID in the community, we can't just go to full open surgeries with no PPE and anybody that wants to come in can be seen. So a lot of the debate at the moment is about how do we restore services and that's, you know, diagnostics, outpatients, cancer work, but also general practice. What would you do to open up your services and how would you continue to do that? So building on the phone triage, the video consultation, but also beginning to allow more face-to-face and then looking at things like screening, immunizations, uh, long-term conditions. This is a real opportunity to change the way we deliver them, but also change the way the public uses our service and all those things are being considered. And some of this is not down to what they'll do nationally and they'll impose a model. A lot of this is about what we can do locally and how we drive um, the change that we want and build on the benefits we've seen, but you know that doesn't mean we chuck everything out at hope that went before. And three particular areas I just focus on at the moment. One is the shielded list, and um, you'll all know the challenges with that. Second is the care homes, and the third is the hot sites. So looking forward, um, at the moment we've redeployed existing resources to manage COVID. I would predict that looking forward. That once we start reopening our services, albeit delivered in a different way, will require more time um, and more people to do it, because a video consultation isn't quicker than a face-to-face consultation. But if you're using PPE and you're using um, other things within a surgery, we won't be able to get through quite as many patients as we do now. So if we look at the additional work that will be caused by um, shielded patients, by the care homes, and then when we look to how do we man hot sites and do home visiting in the future, we will need additional resources. And that's a topic of a conversation we're having with the CCGs and is part of the GP National COVID Fund, which is about to be signed off by the Treasury. So we're waiting to hear the details of that. But essentially, what I believe it will be was if you need to use more people above and beyond your normal staffing numbers because you redeployed those to, to, to provide existing services, we won't get paid twice for doing things. But if you look at the um, people who work in surgery, so GPs, nurses, etc., where they could increase the hours, the so-called increases, there are the GP returners. We've got a number of GP returners who would be happy to help in practices or PCNs. And we've got um, others who... Um, locums who are looking for work, um, as many of us have cancelled holidays for the time being. So there's the opportunity to increase our workforce, but we need funding to do it. And that's what we're trying to sort out at this moment in time. So there's a whole lot of new stuff which is going on towards looking at how we manage COVID in the future. And later on today, I'll circulate two documents which we've been developing at the LMC, which hopefully will be um, give you some information, but also... Um, push forward some of that discussion about what the new world might look like and the opportunities that exist. So that's a major focus of our work. The second bit I would say is the PCN DES. So practices will have been asked to sign up by the end of the month for the PCN DES. Um, Clearly it is a choice for each individual practice to make. The observations I would make is um, we have had our Income protected in terms of the global sum, the local services, the Liz's, the DESs, the QOF, um, and also the work that actually is entailed in the PCN DES has been delayed till October. Um, and there is significant new money being attached to the PCN DES. Whatever you may think one way or the other, I would make the observation that I think throughout Wessex our PCNs and the leadership within them, and that's the managers as well as the clinical directors again, have done an amazing job at providing services at scale, collaborating, working together. And there's a real opportunity to build on the work that's been done. But I would also remind you that the PCN DES is an extension of your contract. So the opportunity is there for you to own it, for you to drive it, and make it work for your patients and support your practices. We believe the additional roles are really important, but my belief is that when you employ the additional roles, of their time should be to support the work of practices, and 30% providing services at PCN level, so doing the work that comes with the PCN DES. So um, I'll stop there and then hand back to Carol, Louise, Lisa, um, and happy to answer any questions uh, as they come up.
0: Thank you, Nigel. I think, Carol, I think if you'd like to just give us a a local update, that would be lovely. Thank you.
2: Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, First of all, I think I need to talk about a couple of things that we um, mentioned on the webinar last week. Um, One that hasn't quite happened, even though we were expecting it to have happened by this week, which is uh, the uh, information around the Uh, referrals to secondary care so this is over and above the two-week waits and the urgent so last week we told you that we were expecting um, all the hospitals to sort of put back their um, their procedures for accepting referrals and what we've been made aware of is that because in some areas some staff were deployed elsewhere out of referral management centers or they stopped it in such a way that it's taking some time to put back. Um, what the hospitals are asking is, can we please bear with them? They are all working on it, but they're not quite there yet in some of the areas. I know a couple of areas, one in um, in the sort of uh, Wiltshire area, and and one or two others have been mentioned in particular so bear with it is happening and you will get something out from your ccg your commissioners to let you know that it's all back on track when it is back on track so that was number one um, the other one is, um, uh, I, I've had to re-listen to this myself just to be absolutely 100% sure. We talked to you last week about the flu um, season and Nigel has just mentioned that partly. What we talked about was you having to change your processes, possibly having to have more PPE, maybe changing the way you deliver the programme, but at the same time, you were being urged Almost to order more vaccine because we believe there's going to be a higher uptake this year. Um, what I said to you was that both Nigel and I had emailed the GPC almost exactly at the same time about this because we recognise that taking more time, taking more Uh, capacity taking more PPE etc is going to cost money and we also were aware of your concerns that you only get a percentage that you're allowed to have on sale or return with your suppliers and we said we had raised this with the GPC and we were asking them to talk to NHS England and Public Health England um, to see what could be done. Unfortunately Public Health England have been sent the message that we said they would pay all your costs for any uh, vaccine that you didn't use. And we didn't say that. There's no way we could have said that. So please be aware that we're aware of it. We know it's going to take um, more time. We know it's going to cost you more to deliver. And um, we've asked the BMA and the GPC to, to work with Public Health England on that. But at the moment, there is nothing definite about how that's going to be delivered did you want to come back on that at all, Nigel, or are you happy with what I've said?
1: Yeah, and no, I agree with you. Um, I've had some further discussion um, since then, and I think one of the issues is about the risk um, because if we order lots of additional vaccine, and at the moment um, patients aren't terribly forthcoming in coming into surgeries or hospital because of their fear of COVID, so there is still a concern that, although we should be vaccinating more, Um, whether patients will actually present or whether the fear of COVID plus flu means we'll see more. So some of the discussions going on about how we could share that risk and whether an element of the vaccine will be ordered nationally rather than through practices. But as Carol says, I would watch this space. We haven't got a definitive answer at this point.
2: Okay, thank you. Um, the other thing I think that we have been mentioning or have, have had questions about is the um, the £20,000 um, for new partners that, that came in from April. That is still in. Um, we had hoped to have more detail about that by now. Um, we are absolutely assured it's coming. Um, Nigel would say, Go to your CCGs and tell them you've got a new partner and you're looking for the 20k. I suspect the CCGs will say so we haven't got any detail yet so we're in a bit of a loop. But um, it is there, it is coming and we are pushing for more detail about how that will work and how you apply. Um, The other thing that we haven't actually sent round, because it's a bit of a morbid subject, but we have got the information for you on our website. And that is the death in service. Um, We have got the detail on that and how you claim for any staff um, that that, um, died due to COVID. So the £60,000 grant or whatever it's being called so that is on the website so um, if you are in that unfortunate position or do get in that unfortunate position and um, the claim is is there claim details are there um we understand as well that you either will be receiving or have already received a sit rep um, to let uh, your ccg and nhs england know whether or not you've actually taken on any increased hours from your own um, gps or or uh, salaried or partners um, also any additional work from locums due to covid or any of the returning gps um, who've come back to work to help with the covid um, interestingly when i was talking to somebody yesterday people don't appear to be aware i know i've mentioned it before so i'll mention it again We have a whole list of returners and increasers who are looking to help you. So if you've got um, GPs off um, uh, in self-isolation or having to stay at home and can't work from home for whatever reason or they're sick themselves and therefore can't work, we do have people in place that can help you in a variety of different ways, whether it's remotely, whether it's doing triage videos, whatever. So do let us know. Do come to us if, um, if you need somebody. I suspect at the moment most of the SIT reps are going to be very have very small numbers, and I'm aware of one or two of you who've retained doctors who are going to retire or um, you know, who've stayed on for whatever reason. So um, do let us know. Um, Next thing I wanted to um, just mention really only applies to those of you in NHSPS buildings so I will say it very quickly because it will bore the rest of you. But I've been in contact or I've been approached by three different um, solicitors firms in the last fortnight saying that they're close to coming to an agreement on a lease with um, NHSPS and in terms of service charges. Most of you will know that the BMA has actually got a court case pending around those service charges with NHSPS. So in each of those cases with the solicitors, I've said to them, great, get to a point, but at this point in time, I really wouldn't sign anything because we're waiting the outcome of the court case. And our understanding is, it is due to be heard later this month. Whether it will be put off or not, I don't know. But at this point in time, By all means, keep working with NHSPS, keep working with your solicitors, but I would say please don't sign a lease at this point in time because you might actually end up in a worse position and you certainly won't end up in a worse position if you wait, okay? I'm going to hand over to um, Lisa now who's going to cover um, questions around BMA uh, risk assessment and uh, moving stock bank holidays and that type of thing. Thanks,
3: Lisa. I just quickly wanted to ask, answer a question that was posted because I clicked the answer live button by mistake, and that was Jenny Jenny's question about hearing lots, getting lots of queries from parents of children being advised that they need to get some medical advice on return to school if their child has an underlying health condition. Just to say that has been uh, quite a hot topic on the list server, LMC list server today. Uh, The GPC has responded to say it's not appropriate and they will uh, escalate it nationally. Um, So back to the other topics, risk assessments. um, We'll put all of this on our website and update it. uh, But just to let you know that the Faculty of Occupational Medicine has published yesterday a risk reduction framework that covers all at risk groups, including VAME groups. Um, There's also an awful lot of information on the NHS employers' site um, for those groups that we will post. I think we already have posted a link to. Um, And we have uh, got an assessment tool that has been circulated um, to LMC's, which one of our medical directors, Gareth Bryant, is looking at at the moment with a view to potentially making some amendments. So we should be able to circulate that shortly. Um, Moving on then to bank holidays, the 25th of May, Um, Richard Vortree, chair of the GPC, has said, unless the situation changes significantly, it will not be necessary for practices to open on the next bank holiday at the end of May. So we know that CCGs are looking at that, but our expectation is that there won't be, um, it will be a normal bank holiday. In terms of pharmacy opening hours, um, We've been told that they are hoping to revert to standard locally determined opening arrangements, but they are asking pharmacies to let NHSE know what their plans are locally so that they can confirm whether they need to ask any pharmacies to extend their opening hours. But we're expecting it will be their normal bank holiday opening arrangements. Um, And finally, um, the JCVI has Uh, published a statement on maintaining immunisation services to reduce the risk of vaccine-preventable disease. And NHS England has advised that CCGs and PCNs may need to facilitate the transfer of locally held vaccine stock from one provider to another to ensure continued delivery of the IMS programmes. And the MHRA has confirmed it will not prevent the transfer of locally held vaccine stock uh, for routine IMS during the pandemic and that was it for me Louise.
0: Okay thank you Lisa and can I just add we've got an information governance webinar um, happening tomorrow which is free Um, as I 12 o'clock. All the information is on our website. We're doing that via a Teams webinar, so you need to share your email with us, which we will share with the host, which they will then send you a link to put in your diary for the Teams webinar, which we'll join um, in that way. So, hopefully, that's useful for you. I think over well over 50 of you have already signed up for that, so that should be good going forward. And, and just to mention, we are um, you may have seen an email coming out that we've got the introduction to practice management, we're doing that virtually, and um, we sent that out, and that's been um, supported by the training hubs in BSW and um, GP Forward View monies for Dorset and Hampshire, and that's sold out straight away. So the more we can do virtually, we will. Obviously, if we can do it free, we definitely will. Um, but just keep an eye out on what we can do virtually, we can to replace all the sort of the normal training events we have done. But obviously, that's quite challenging for us to get the software and the trainers sort of up to scratch with that So bear with us. But um, do keep an eye on our website for that. I think a lot of the questions have been sort of answered as we've gone through. There have been quite a few on... Um, on masks, I don't know if you want to add anything else, um, Carol, on masks about patients wearing them, whether they should be homemade. Is there any other advice we can give on that? Online?
1: Can I take that because it yes, has sorry. been a subject of discussion. The face masks are the, uh, well, they're not the only, but they're one of the main things that's in short supply. So if every person who's seen is given a face mask, we'll run out of them and we won't have them for the essential services. So the general advice has been that um at the moment, all um, people who are see- doing face-to-face as clinicians should be wearing PPE, including face masks. Common sense would suggest if you're seeing somebody in a hot site that you potentially give them a mask so that, that you reduce the spread um, from them. Um, people coming into the cold sites, a bit like um, is being discussed or being recommended going on public transport, they could wear face masks. So. What I would suggest is that you either get patients to wear their own face masks, and there's lots of information on the internet about how you can make your own face mask, or they have them, lots of patients have bought face masks, which aren't surgical face masks, but we just need to be aware that as we open up, the number that we're gonna use is gonna increase hugely, let alone if we start giving them all out. So we we just need to make sure we protect our supplies.
0: Okay, thank you. just one other thing that's come up with referrals. So if if people are finding that they're actually bounce referrals are still being bounced, and I think one question has come through and that's from Great Western, where would you suggest that practice managers go to get some advice on that?
1: So tell tell them just to hold on, because as Carol says, what what all the hospitals have been told to reopen their referrals. So This week, they're all turning on the electronic referral system. The problem that many of them face is that, a bit like general practice, they're not quite sure how they can provide safe services with the COVID being circulating. So in Hampshire, they largely haven't been returning referrals, and they've been doing far more um, remote consultations using Um, They don't use AccurX. They use a different video consultation, but many of the consultants have been doing it by that. So the other hospitals in Dorset and in Wiltshire are setting themselves up to do that. But there has been a real push from the commissioners and from us that they can't just return referrals. So if you get referrals returned, I just hold on to them for a few days. Uh, unless they're urgent and they shouldn't be returning urgent or two week cancer waits, and it will open up and it will open up shortly and there's a a broader discussion about the diagnostics as well because obviously we need access to ultrasound and plain x-rays but there is a significant risk with those and that's again what their hospitals are trying to sort out but I would hope over the next week to 10 days all those things will be open up.
0: And if you're not sure, Nigel, who do you go to to ask? Because obviously the people aren't, don't feel they're making the information.
1: Well, at this point in time, I mean, you can go to the CCG, but I don't think they'll give you any different answer to that, that. what I can give you, which is the hospitals are, you know, I would have preferred that the hospitals accepted all the referrals, they managed the risk and then put them in clinics when they were available. But that's not how, you know, if you look at um, ERS from the hospital side, it's not quite as easy as one might think. So, you know, again, I would just say, just hold on. Many, you know, the numbers of referrals have gone down by about 80%, but largely that's because patients haven't been presenting to general practice.
2: Carol,
0: did you want to ask an an, an Uh, I was only going to
2: say that, yeah, I was only going to say that RUH in particular have had a problem because they have a referral management service and they redeployed all of their staff elsewhere. So they've got to get them back. They've got to get the processes back in place and they've got to start it in a safe way. What they're worried about is if they start to hold things without the staff in place, they could get lost and that's that's a safety issue. The CCG is well aware of it. We've talked to them about it. Gareth's talked to them about it. So um, they're, they're, they're on course, but it is just taking a bit longer because of the way that they um, redeployed staff and, and because of the centre itself. So um, mm-hmm. they're getting there. I was going to say there was another question about routine um, smears, um, whether or not practices should start to perform those again. Again, do you want to do that one, Nigel?
1: Yeah, I mean, immediately after this, we've got a cancer webinar with the immunisation and screening lead for the southwest of England. Um, So he will, um, I'm sure, provide an update, but we should be planning to return to do routine smears. But I think that's some of the work we can do Um, we can do safely with PPE and with a degree of um, social distancing clearly smears you can't so we're still waiting for some definitive guidance about how that can be done but I, I would again just hold off for a week or so I think that guidance will come out.
0: Thanks, Nigel. And back to your original um, thing about flu, um, Carol, does, is there any pressure that um, the LMC can bring to in- encourage the pharmacy, pharmaceutical companies to do more sale or return? Because obviously there's a nervousness about over-ordering and not being able to send back and patients being unwilling to come in, even though they might want the vaccine.
1: So that is a discussion that's going on between the Department of Health, NHS England and the vaccine suppliers. So, you know, that that's... It is all about this risk and how they do it, and I don't think as individual practices or groups of practice or the LMC will necessarily um, be able to um, have that degree of influence, which is, I think if you look at the work that's being done on the COVID vaccine, you know two of the big vaccine producers have come together, worked with government and are collaborating. so there's been quite a significant move in their collaboration with the NHS.
0: Okay, and um, one of the things that um, David just mentioned is fridge capacity as well with vaccines is always, yeah, that's that's always one of the things, isn't yeah, it?
1: That, uh, and I suspect what will happen with this is this we, we'll need to stage the deliveries that won't all come in one go.
0: Um, another comment, Nigel, Um, what about minor ops and either like um, vasectomers and carpal tunnels, that sort of thing?
1: So again, at the moment, I would be looking to restore minor surgery, but only those that are in the inverted commas essential. So um, at the moment, the advice from nationally about steroid injections is that you shouldn't give it um, simply because once you give the steroid, it's obviously in your body for three to six months. And at the moment, the... People who come to see the surgery, come into the surgery, may be infected with COVID before you know they've got it. So, if you happen to jab them with a significant dose of steroids and a few days later they develop COVID, clearly the steroids will reduce your immunity. So, there is a um, suggestion that actually that might give you adverse outcomes. Now, that is theoretical, it's not been proven. Um, but certainly if you talk to rheumatologists and I was reading up about it a couple of days ago, um, which would say at the moment I would hold off doing any of these steroid injections, the, palli- uh, the pain clinics um, and the advice the pain clinics uh, seem to be given is like most things is the sort of maybe seen as a bit of a fudge, but it's about balance up the risks of doing it versus the benefits. And I think as we go further down the line, that will become clearer about what the true risks are and what the true benefits are. So, in terms of minor surgery, unless it is essential um, and most of the minor surgery isn't, I would hold off.
0: So, err on the side of caution at the moment? Yeah. Okay. Um, Carol, did you want to talk about infection control in practices, um, care homes, that sort of thing?
2: Well, um, I'm I'm not going to go into any great detail, just to say we have done a huge amount of work on this. Um, Helene Irving, obviously our nurse advisor who would normally be on this call but is on another national call at the moment, has done some information. So we've got an infection prevention control document now on our website. We've we've gone into everything with a fine tooth comb and so the information is there and um, Helene has been working with the uh, NMC and with lots of other nurses on this so I think it's, it's well worth um, pointing your nurses in particular um, towards it but also it could be helpful for yourselves so
0: I'll leave it to people to read that. Lovely, that'll be on our website won't it for people to access if yeah. anyone, okay. Um, I think we come to the end of the questions, Nigel, Carol, Lisa, is there anything else you'd like to add?
2: Um, I'd, I'd just like to add that, that we haven't covered a couple of things this week that I think might be uh, going to come up quite shortly. Um, should we actually the two lots of acronyms we all love PCSE and CQC. Um, I'll say it quickly, and then I get it over, get the pain over with. So PCSE, uh, their online portal should have gone live, properly live this week. It hasn't. Um, we're looking into it. We're finding out what's happening, and um, hopefully, we'll be able to give you an update on that next week. Um, CQC are also putting out lots of information about how supportive they're being. Um, Again, we're looking into what that really means and whether that's a dictionary definition we need to change. And we'll give you some more information on
0: that hopefully next week, too. Lovely. And as we were talking, of course, and saying we know at the end of the questions, loads more have come in. So I'll just have a little look at those. Um, I think, Nigel, this is back to you. Does the same advice apply for coils? There's a new fitter who's worried about how long we won't be um, actually doing the task and a growing list of women actually wanting coils. Is is it the same thing to err on the side of caution?
1: Yes, I think the same as um, is true for cervical smears. I would just hold off for a week or so. Recognise, and again, the you know what we've advised is that abnormal smears should be where their follow-up should continue to be done because of the risk of not doing them is greater than the risk of COVID. I think if you look at coils, the risk of people you know having um, unwanted pregnancy versus doing the coils, that's probably okay for the individual, but there is obviously the risk to the um, operator so again i think that's something that we will look to get some national clarification on
0: okay thank you um, not, um carol you mentioned a, a few webinars ago about the call for nurses who might be returning i think the question is coming in any update on the lmc call for nurses which was proposed are there any returners in the nursing field that you have a little bank little secure bank of nurses to offer
2: Louise, I wish I could say yes, hundreds. Guess what? I had two. Oh. Two? Can you believe? <laughs> and they both. I know, and they've both been uh, placed very, very quickly. Um, I, I, I hate to say it, but a nurse coming back. Is being put through a huge amount of um, uh, documentation, paperwork, and everything from the NMC far more than the uh, GMC and 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 is is doing for GP returners. That seems to be a lot more of a streamlined process now. For amazingly, um, obviously, That's because we're quite precious
1: important. as GPs, Carol.
2: I think they're just far more important, actually, Nigel. As I was going to say, and 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 clearly, you know, far more. Um, uh succinct about what they will and won't do whereas gps are a little bit more gung-ho i'd say and slightly more maverick i mean i had one oh, oh. Retired. nigel i had one that retired 11 years ago who thinks he can come straight back in and do face to face no he's been assigned <laughs> medical support worker and he's really miffed about that but anyway don't <laughs> go there but no i'm afraid not um not. We're just not getting the numbers um that, that we had hoped to get. So I think okay. we're trying to we're trying now to try a different tack and say how can the nurses within individual practices across a PCN help and support each other and work more closely between themselves and with the community nurses, there was a lot of um, overlap there. There's a lot of um, specialist nurses out there that could be used in, in a better way. So we're saying to PCNs, we're saying to nurses, get together, look at your skill mix, look at how you could provide your services in a different way, um, but supporting each other. That's the best we can do at the moment, I'm afraid and-
0: And that leads beautifully into our last question, which I think Nigel's gonna answer about um, lots of increased expectation to provide home visits for routine essential care, such as dressing and blood for shielding patients, like having our own community team, advice on how we can manage that.
1: So I'd go back to what I said at the beginning, which is um, we recognise that many community teams have said they're at capacity, so they're not going to take on all the shielded work if these are all done at home. So this is part of a a sort of slightly bigger discussion, which is actually not all the shielded patients need to remain at home. They could come to a super cold site. So if there's somewhere that's um, not seeing hot patients and you can see them in the morning and you can protect them, then for some of them they can come into the surgery they don't all have to be visited at home. The second bit is um, I do think when we look at care homes and shielded patients that is work above and beyond what we can provide um, going forward. When we redeployed staff as we are doing at the moment we can manage that within our capacity but once we get those patients coming back for all the other um, care we're not going to be able to and that's where I'll go back to what I said about I think we should then be working with the CCGs and looking to expand our staff so that we can manage those. So that's about employing more people and being funded to do that
0: okay thank you Nigel I think we come to the end of the question so thank you very much Nigel Carol and Lisa um, for your presentations thank you Dawn in the background who does lots of the FAQs and lots of the following up and Giselle who's a, like a mystery horse um is actually just just doing <laughs> lots of work in the background which is very much appreciated so um if you want to listen again it'll be on the audio podcast which we will send out as an email um but also just um, remind your colleagues it will be available if they want to listen again so I'll see you at the same time next week thank you very much